In the uh, late 90s and early 2000s, uh, I was, uh, used to work on a framing crew, framing houses, building houses. And uh, since my boss was a Christian, we went to church together. Uh, he used to pair me up with a non-Christian uh, employee at times to work with that employee because uh, he wanted me to witness to my coworker. And uh, one of those times I was paired up with a guy during one spring break that uh, he was about my age. And um, over the course of the week of working, uh, I got to talk to him about a lot of spiritual matters. Uh, He had a lot of reasons for, for not being a Christian. Why does God allow suffering, he asked. Oh, how do we know for sure Jesus is God? How do we, uh, how, what, what are we supposed to do when, when there's all these Christian hypocrites? Why are there Christian hypocrites? What does God think about God, you know, me sleeping with my girlfriend? You know, these are all the big questions that people wrestle with as, as, they, as they consider whether or not to be a Christian or not. Uh, multiple times I had the opportunity to answer those questions and then get to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, but after all that talking, He didn't want to be a Christian. Why? Why do people make the conscious decision to reject Christianity? Everybody here would know people who have clearly understood the good news of Jesus Christ and yet made the choice to reject it. Why? Why don't people believe Jesus as their Savior? How do, how do you explain it? How do you put this puzzle together? Has it ever pained you to know, wonder why is this? Maybe you're here this morning and uh, you don't believe that Jesus is who he says he is. Uh, maybe the significance of his death, burial, and resurrection uh, and the significance of that hasn't really dawned on you and you haven't really figured it out or... Maybe you know what it means and what the Christians have taught you, but it doesn't really matter to you. Maybe you're here and and you don't believe that Jesus can give you eternal life resurrected from the the dead. And and you know, I just want you to know, uh, that's okay for you right now. Uh, On the one hand, I want you to know that this message is about you if you're not a Christian. Uh, But I'm not here talking about you specifically because I I somehow know why you personally are not a believer. Uh, But on the other hand, this message is about you in a general sense because uh, I used to be like you and because Jesus talks about us and we ought to wrestle with what Jesus says about us if indeed he really did rise from the dead. So I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke in chapter 7. We're going to kind of pick up where we left off last week. Last week we discovered uh, that John the Baptist was somebody who was in prison and he experienced doubts about Jesus. And he sent two of his followers to ask Jesus if he was the legit coming one to save the world. And Jesus gave John's two followers, these two eyewitnesses, two pieces of evidence. He did a huge variety of miracles immediately. And then he paraphrased scripture to demonstrate that he is the long-awaited savior of humanity. Jesus gave John overwhelming evidence that he really is who he says he is. He wanted to answer John's questions uh, because John had these doubts and because John was in his prison and because Jesus cared for John. 
But there's another kind of doubt. There's a different kind of doubt than John's doubt. Uh, doubts that, that Jesus talks about next in this passage here in Luke chapter 7. And we're going to begin at verse 24. So read with me there in Luke chapter 7. It says in verse 24, when John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? No. What did you go out to see? A man dressed in fancy clothes? No. Look, those who wear fancy clothes and live in luxury are in king's courts. What did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, no one is greater than John. And yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he is. Okay, in essence, Jesus is giving the crowds uh, uh, some of the basic claims of Christianity. Jesus says there are three things here, right? John is a great prophet, okay? He did, he's the guy that God commissioned to go and prepare the way before Jesus arrived, okay? And he didn't compromise with the elite in society. He didn't change his message. He did what God asked him to do. He fulfilled scripture. And John really is this prophet that was the long-awaited prophet from the Old Testament uh, that Malachi had prophesied about. And then Jesus says something about himself. And he does it in a really cryptic way. And uh, I want you to look again there at verses 26 through 27. What did it say? It said, what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written. And this is the quote from Malachi that I want you to pay attention to. Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. How many people are in view in that quote from Malachi? According to Jesus, there are three people, okay? I, God, am sending my messenger, John, right? There's two people ahead of you, Jesus, right? That's three people. But when you look at Malachi chapter 3 and verse 1 in the Hebrew Bible, uh, something different is said. It reads, I'm about to send my messenger who will clear the way before me. Not you, me. How many people are in view in Malachi? Right? In Malachi 3, there's only two people in view. I... Yahweh, the Lord God of Israel, you're going to send my messenger, John, you're going to prepare the way for me, right? Jesus says, I, what Jesus is doing is he's taking that, he's changing the verse for himself because he himself is identifying himself as the Lord God of Israel of the Old Testament. He's Yahweh, okay? Most people skip right over this major, major clue about the greatness of Jesus Christ. If John is more than a prophet, then Jesus is more than more than a prophet, okay? Christianity believes that Jesus is God. He's the Lord God of Israel. All the miracles demonstrate that what he says about himself is true. 
that was God's stamp of approval that what Jesus said about himself was true. Every time a miracle happened, it was like a supernatural stamp that this guy was saying the truth. And he was calling himself, in a very cryptic way, God. So that's the second major claim of Christianity. The third major claim is that the kingdom citizens, those who get into the kingdom, are greater than John the Baptist. If John was, was one of the best and most important people of the Old Testament era, if you are a citizen, if you are a Christian, you get into the kingdom, guess what? If you're the least even in the kingdom of God, you are greater in status than John. These are the claims of Christianity. So, how did the people respond to John? And how did people respond to Jesus? Well, Luke tells us there in chapter 7, and look with me there at verse 29. It says, so Jesus just talked about John, okay? And then it says, now all the people who heard this, even the tax collectors, acknowledged God's justice because they had been baptized with John's baptism. However, the Pharisees and experts in religious law rejected God's purpose for themselves because they had not been baptized by John. So on the one hand, there's two responses here. On the one hand, there are people who believed. They went out into the wilderness. They heard John's message to repent and be baptized, and they did it. And then there's all these other people, these Pharisees and experts in the law. They go out, and what did they hear? They heard John, but they did not repent, and they did not get baptized. So there's these two responses. On the one hand, some people believe John's message, and on the other hand, you have people who rejected John. So that's the question that we're asking this morning, right? Why? Why did those people not believe? Why is it that people fail to believe today in the tenets of Christianity? On the one hand, there's people who believe and they maybe have some lapses and doubt like John the Baptist, like we talked about last week. And on the other hand, there's others like these Pharisees and experts in the law who doubt and actually reject Jesus. Both groups got the same evidence. They both saw the same miracles. They both could look at the Hebrew Bible and see that Jesus was fulfilling all the scriptures. And yet they both came to a different conclusion. Why? Even today, there are believers and there are unbelievers, and they both have access to the same data, the same evidences, but they arrive at different conclusions. Why is it? Well, Jesus tells us, look with me there at verse 31. To what then should I compare the people of this generation? And what are they like? They are children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to one another, we played the flute for you, yet you did not dance. We wailed in mourning, yet you did not weep. For John the Baptist came eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say, he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking. And you say, look at him, he's a glutton and a drunk, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, but wisdom is vindicated by all her children. Okay, uh, I once heard a message from uh, Tim Keller who really helped me understand this passage. Uh, so some of the ideas I'm getting here are going to be from him. Uh, but basically, Jesus is giving him a very profound answer to our question this morning. Why is it that people reject Christianity? 
Why do they reject John as the, the great prophet who is more than a prophet? Why do they reject Jesus as more than more than a great prophet? And he says, basically, the people who reject John, the people who reject Jesus, they're spiritually speaking, they're childish. All right, let me be clear. Uh, Jesus is not against children. All right. Uh, Jesus welcomes the children all through his ministry. Uh, elsewhere, he uses children as a positive example of how uh, we are to be childlike in our faith. Right. But here he's talking about childishness. Okay. The Jewish leaders of Jesus's day, uh, they were like little children throwing a fit. When's the last time you've seen a child throw a fit? Right. Jesus is saying they, they're childish. What's childish, what's, so what's this childishness stuff got to do with unbelief? Well, back in Jesus' day, let me explain this for you. Uh, there were two major events in local town life. There were wedding celebrations that would go on for a week. There would be all this dancing, and it would be great, and the whole town would show up for it. And the other thing that would take place in town life was funerals. Even today, you go to a small town, the whole town shows up for funerals and weddings. Well, at the funerals, there was a lot of mourning and wailing, and people would hear the music and they would weep and mourn. Well, back in Jesus' day, uh, the kids, as they grew up, uh, they would go to the marketplace and they would play this game. And uh, they would have one group of kids in the game that would be the song leaders and another group of kids that would be the ones that would have to act out the music. And so uh, the one group of kids would play the music and uh, they would play the wedding songs. And if they played the wedding songs, the other group had to dance like they were at a wedding and it would be a lot of fun, right? Then sometimes the other group would play funeral songs. And the other kids would supposed to mourn and wail and weep and cry like they were at a funeral. Okay? That was the game. Okay? Well, Jesus describes a situation where like these Jewish leaders and experts in the law, they're like the kids who are supposed to be uh, the, 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 the followers of the song leaders. Okay? So this one group, like John, plays a funeral song. And what, is the, what are they supposed to do? They're supposed to wail and mourn. John's calling them to repent. He's calling them to be baptized. And what are they doing? They're not playing along. They're not wailing and mourning. They're not repenting. They're not baptizing. They're being childish. They don't want to play that game. So they say, well, we don't like that music. Change the music. So what do the, cha- what do the song leaders do? Well, they come over here and Jesus comes along and he, he goes to weddings. He's the guy that, that, that's singing weddings, right? And there's the wedding song and, and he's uh, making it a celebratory thing and it's supposed to be a lot of fun and dancing. He's drinking with people and tax collectors and it's really great. And these people... What are they doing? These Jewish leaders and experts in the law. Well, they don't like that music either. It's too dancey. And so what you have are these these Jewish experts and leaders uh, of the law. Uh, They're not following the song leaders, right? Why? Why is that? Why aren't they playing? Why aren't they following along to the wedding music? And why aren't they following along to the funeral music? One is too dirgy and one is too dancy. Why aren't they doing it? 
Well, the main reason that they don't follow along is because they want to be the song leaders. They want to be in control. They're not the ones playing the music. That's why people reject Christianity. Uh, people reject Christianity because they would rather be in control. They want to have control over how they're doing what they're doing and why they're doing what they're doing. When you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, when you come to the good news of Christianity, uh, there is a part of it that is like the funeral music where you are supposed to repent. And people hate it and they don't want to repent because if they hear the bad news of Christianity and they are told that they are sinners, they lose control. If they're so sinful that they can't save themselves, they have to have somebody else save them, that means they lose control. So they don't want to repent. Uh, other people don't repent because uh, the, the music is too dancey and it's like the wedding song, right? Uh, Jesus is, is giving them the good news of, of how great the gospel is and how they can have eternal life uh, delivered from their sins and be forgiven and yet they will lose control and they reject Jesus' message because it's all the positive things, right? Because if they are told to uh, trust in Jesus and have him save them, if they, if they be become a Christian, that means they will lose control over how they get to live their life. Some people know this about Christianity. When they hear the good news, they understand it, they reject Jesus because they know that Jesus, if he really is who he says he is, that he's God, that he's more than more than a prophet, then that means they get to lose authority over their lives. If somebody, if they want to get all the benefits, then they lose control because now they got to be doing what this person is asking me to do and live the way they want me to live in every area of our life. And there are people who don't want to change because they want to be in control. That was just like the, the Pharisees and experts in the law in Jesus' day. They wanted to be the kingmakers. They wanted to be in control of who was leading the nation. They had a power problem. They had a control problem. They had an authority issue. And here was God in the flesh, the true king of kings over the entire world, the savior of the world, and they wanted to be over him. They didn't want to follow the music that was being played. The problem for them and the problem for us today is that Jesus really is who he says he is. And if he is... You lose your right to self-determination. That's the reason underneath all of the reasons why people don't believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. Deep down, they've decided they don't want to give up control of their lives. And that is child. It's just like childishness. It's just like childishness. I had a friend on Facebook, an old acquaintance of mine, uh, who... <laughs> Uh, I hadn't seen in plenty of years, but she was at, she grew up at the church that I grew up in, and she put this on her Facebook account. She said, on today's episode of Why My Kid is Crying, I wouldn't let him put coins in the food processor. And I 
And I put the dinner, he, wa- he was excited to make together on his plate, and it wasn't what he wanted anymore. That's the kind of childishness that is below why people reject Jesus. They don't want to give up control over every area of, your li- of their life. People can see all of the evidence. But when you reject Jesus, it messes up the process by which you should go through. When you see the evidence, it should lead to a conclusion, right? And when you have unbelief, it messes up the evidence to conclusion process. Because you want to be in control because you don't like what this is happening and being told, uh, you therefore disregard the evidence and misinterpret it on purpose. People with control issues mess up the evidence to conclusion process. We all interpret the evidence in light of who our ultimate authority is. And if, I, if we want ourselves as the ultimate authority, we'll disregard all the evidence that is truly there for anybody to, to come to and see that Jesus is who he says he is. But if, if it's God who's in control, then what do we do? If we're okay with that, if we want God in control, what do we do? We follow the song leader, right? We, we, we give him ultimate authority. We, we don't throw a fit because he's in charge. We, we dance when we're supposed to dance, and we mourn when we're supposed to mourn. But unbelief starts with the assumption that I'm the one that I'm the one that's competent. I'm the best authority over everything in my life and how I should be doing stuff. That's what unbelief does, and it's childishness according to Jesus. People simply don't want to repent and believe in someone else and give that person authority. And that's exactly what's still happening at the end of Jesus' ministry. Turn with me to Luke chapter 20 very quickly. Jesus goes and he goes to Jerusalem and he's having all these debates one day. And uh, now it says in verse uh, 1 of chapter 20, Now one day as Jesus was teaching in the temple courts and proclaiming the gospel, the chief priests and experts in the law with the elders came up and said to him, Tell us. By what authority are you doing these things? Or who it is that gave you this authority, right? They got authority issues. And he says, this is Jesus answering them in verse 3. He says, I will also ask you a question and you tell me. John's baptism. Was it from heaven or from people? And so uh, they discussed it among themselves saying, if we say from heaven, he'll say, why didn't you not believe in him? But if we say from people, all the people will stone us because they were convinced that, Jesus, that John was a prophet. So they replied that they did not know where John's baptism came from. And then Jesus said, neither will I tell you by whose authority I do these things. Right? Jesus put the Jewish leadership back on the spot and he asked them one final time. This is their last chance Was John's baptism from God or was it man-made? There's only two possible answers. You have to choose and you can't remain neutral. And the Jewish leadership balked, right? They, They wouldn't dance and they wouldn't mourn. They were childish. They twisted all the evidence. 
Uh, They wouldn't give up control over their own lives. And so later that week, they got what they wanted. They killed Jesus. Spiritually speaking, they were committed to being childish. There are two kinds of doubters in this world. There are believers who doubt, but their doubts aren't fatal because they adjust their expectations to God's when they're given the evidence, just like John the Baptist was given the evidence last week. And there are unbelievers who doubt, and it's fatal to them because they fail to adjust their lives to God's. If you're here and uh, you're not yet committed to becoming a follower of Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you to be honest with God and simply tell Him you just aren't willing to give Him authority over your life. Be honest. Tell Him. And I I want to thank you for being honest with yourself, and I want to thank you for being honest with God. But I'd like to ask you, are you getting a little tired of trying to be the authority over every area of your life and trying to run your life your way? Are, are, Are you burdened by trying to rule everything and it's not working? Are, are you really getting what you want out of life? Or is it too elusive and taking too much out of you? From personal experience, I felt tiring. I just, I was, I was coming to the end of myself trying to be the music maker all the time. It wasn't any fun. But when I totally became committed to Jesus' authority over every area of my life, that's when I really began to have fun. (laughs) And I have always loved playing along ever since. I remember vividly the summer I made that change. I put childishness behind me, and I've had great fun ever since. Yeah, there's some mourning when I'd rather dance, and yeah, there's some dancing when I'd rather mourn, but playing the game and letting Jesus lead is far better because I'm playing the game with Jesus. And I have to tell you, it's so freeing to let him be in charge of the leading. I can relax and I can ride the roller coaster and throw up my hands and and ride along and just go with his plans for my life. If you're already a Christian, I want to encourage you too. Don't kid yourself about the power of residual sin in your life holding you back from being totally submissive to the one who's playing the music. Be like John. Continue to adjust to the music. Continue to adjust to God's expectations and plans and purposes for you. If I, if I never adjusted to God's plans for me, I guarantee you I would not be here in Attleboro right now enjoying life. And don't ever stop praying for the unbelievers in your life, okay? Intrigue them to Jesus by showing them how much fun it is to have with Him. He gets to rule you, and it's going to be crazy in their eyes. And it's okay if they think you're crazy. It's crazy to people when we play to God's tune and not our own. It's crazy to people when we're pessimistic about the sinfulness of humanity. It's crazy when we're so optimistic about salvation for eternity. And I want you to be encouraged. 
If you mourn and dance to God's tunes, you're wise. Jesus says in verse 35, but wisdom is vindicated by all her children. There's childish children out there that reject him, and there are wise children who play along. The sinners in Jesus' day who responded to John and Jesus were more wise than the Jewish leaders who rejected Jesus. In the end, history is going to bear out that you were wise for playing to God's tune over your life. A famous theologian and pastor from Oklahoma named Thomas Oden once wrote, deep in the soul of most of us is an undisclosed confession we would wish to disclose if only we had the courage to tell the truth. American philosopher Mortimer Adler was famous for championing classical education. Uh, He had long believed in the God of the philosophers, but rejected Christianity. He was born into a non-practicing Jewish family back in 1902. Uh, And then in 1980, at 78 years old, uh, Adler published a book titled How to Think About God, a Guide for 20th Century Pagan. Uh, Ken Myers was a guy who interviewed Adler in 1980 after that book was published. And during the interview, Myers asked him why he had never embraced the Christian faith himself. And he explained that while he had been profoundly influenced by a number of Christian thinkers during his lifetime, uh, there were moral, not intellectual obstacles to his conversion. And he didn't explain any further. It was strange that Adler was somebody who believed that God existed but failed to believe in Jesus Christ even though there was no mental reason to reject Jesus. Uh, At another time when Adler was asked why he was reluctant to convert, he replied this. He said, there's a great gulf between the mind and the heart. I was on the edge of becoming a Christian several times, but I didn't do it. I said that if one is born a Christian, one can be lighthearted about living up to Christianity. But if one converts by a clear conscience of the will, one had better be prepared to live a truly Christian life. So you ask yourself, are you prepared to give up all your vices and the weaknesses of the flesh? Adler knew exactly what was required of him if he believed that Jesus Christ was the guy who could save him. He knew it meant giving up control over his life. It meant mourning. It meant dancing to somebody else's tune. It meant no longer being able to be an absolute authority over every area of his life. So what did he do? He rejected Christianity. In 1984, at the age of 82, Mortimer Adler became bedridden with illness. According to Chuck Colson, it was there that Adler finally converted from the God of the philosophers to the God of the cross. He received the grift of grace and he was baptized. He finally trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ and made him the authority over his life. He finally stopped being childish. He had finally had the courage to tell the truth of Jesus Christ to his soul and disclose that undisclosed confession that it wasn't any fun. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, I pray that if there's anybody here today that 
they've been ruling over every area of their life and they haven't really been letting you be their ruler. They haven't been following the tunes that you've been playing for them. And they've been just wanting to be in control of the game. I just pray, Father, that you would convict them of how tiring and how, uh, how they're not having as much fun as they think they probably are having. And that as they sort of get poured out trying to be in control of what they can't really ultimately be in control of, that they would see how much more fun it is to play along to your tunes and follow you instead and trust you for their salvation. That, and that they would repent, that they would apologize to you for being a sinner, for doing things, and that they would have great joy in knowing that you can give them eternal life and forgiveness of sins and that they can, they can have fun playing along to your music all the time in every area of their life, Lord. Help them to know the freedom and the joy and the, and the love that is there and that they've never known because they've never once given you control over them and how they are supposed to live. I pray for us as Christians, Lord, that we would be submissive to the music you're playing in every area of our life. And just be glad that it's you playing the music so that we can play along with you and that you would give us great joy. Help us to be wise. We pray for our unbelieving friends and family, Lord, who are being in a very real way honest about the why they reject you. Help us to show the joy of what it means to be a true follower in every area of our lives pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing.